You are listening to World of Noise right here on X-Ray FM. I'm your host, Bob Ham. Each week I help take stock of the local music community by speaking with the folks making the noise here in Portland and those folks who are supporting those noisemakers. Later on in this week's episode, singer-songwriter Bart Budwig will be doing another edition of Take 5, our regular segment where a local artist picks five songs that are important to their career and their work, and we discuss them one by one. But first... Veronica Avila has been a key figure in the West Coast experimental and noise music scene for nearly 20 years, starting with her time playing with the Bay Area band Prize Hog, and continuing with a relocation to Portland that found her producing some of her best solo material under the name EMS, an acronym that I can't actually say over the air, and these days using her last name, Avila. Her hard-driving, synth-heavy work wavers nicely between danceable beats and pure chaos, often generated on the fly by Avila in concert or in her home studio. To find out more about her artistic journey and the often shaky ground that many women in the experimental music scene walk, I spoke with Avila recently at the X-Ray Studios in North Portland. Yeah, Veronica Avila, thank you for being on World of Noise today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, with anybody who makes uh, music like yours, a very experimental... Um, I mean, there is some dance elements to it as well, but it's, you know, you, it's an experimental foundation, I think, to this. I'm always curious with any artist that makes music like this, where, what was the starting point for you of, of listening to this music and understanding or loving this music, if you will? Like, was there a person that introduced this to you? Was there a, a, an artist that you stumbled upon? Um, well, I was raised uh, with a lot of TV in my life when I was young. <laughs> um, as was and, I. And... When I was younger, I was lucky enough to actually have music videos <laughs> on MTV. Right. Um, and I think the first time that I heard weird, like, experimental electronic music was staying up way past my bedtime and catching MTV Amp. Oh, yeah. Um, and there, I think there was, I can't even, I don't know, I was probably, like, 12 or 13, I don't remember exactly, but it was probably, like, Autechre or Aphex Twin or something. Right. Really wild was on, and I would... It, I was just like, what happened? What's going on? <laughs> um, where and uh, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in the Bay Area. Okay. Um, yeah, I grew up just north of San Francisco kind of all over Marin and Sonoma County, so like San Rafael, Novato, Petaluma. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Moved around a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Was there a lot of, besides uh, you exploring MTV and music, and was there a lot of other music in your life from your family and... Yeah, um, as a little kid, uh, like the my the first elementary school I went to, I went to school with uh, like Carlos Santana's kids, and he like put a bunch of money into the music program there. So from an early age, like there was like like every cl- there was a year where every class 
had an instrument and every kid had like a percussion instrument and we had this big assembly and like he was in the middle with his son what <laughs> and we like we all played we shall overcome <laughs> and he was like oh, in the middle man. yeah and like we all had percussion instruments. i mean it was probably did not sound good at all I, <laughs> my class had the triangle it wasn't you know like <laughs> but um yeah from an early age definitely like a lot of music in my life my mom like showed me a ton of like weird weird stuff you know right. she was really into like van der graaf generator and like jethro tull and that's, stuff like that <laughs> that's much weirder than what i got going <laughs> yeah so <laughs> that was pretty lucky yeah. um yeah and then i um when i moved to petaluma as i got older there was the phoenix theater there which mm. totally exposed me to all kinds of amazing music and really got me into the music world like pretty much on a like permanent forever like worship <laughs> basis <laughs> okay what was the first show you saw at the phoenix uh guar <laughs> of course yeah of course <laughs> So when did it, so by the time you saw like those videos on MTV, you know, were you already playing music besides like the school stuff? Were you already playing music or have some interest in that? Or was that sort of what led you to want to start finding instruments or finding a computer to play with or something? Um, I wasn't really playing a lot of music. Um, I was mostly just listening to it and going to a ton of shows. Okay. I didn't actually really start messing around with computers and music, like music on computers or anything until I was like 17 mm -hmm. um, and even then I was just like or I, I mean I had I think I had like uh, Fruity Loops you know and I would make some stupid techno and be like this is going nowhere that's fine you know like I never thought I'd do anything seriously at all mm -hmm. um, and then I, I started making like I started playing noise music with some friends um when I was living in Santa Rosa. Mm -hmm. But again, like, no... Uh, <laughs> no plan on doing anything aside from just, you know, going to the warehouse once a week and banging on stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then I joined a band randomly, like, just somebody okay. heard my crappy <laughs> synth music <laughs> that I made on my computer, and they were like, you should play in a band. <laughs> and they loaned me a, a micro cork. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. What was the band? Um, it ended up being Prize Hog, actually. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it was the first iteration of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Was I mean, because you uh, you say you grew up in the Bay Area, and uh, I think it's probably pretty lucky in that regard about music like this, because there's a really strong experimental and noise scene down in the Bay Area. Yeah. So that, was that an easy thing to 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 hop into? Um. Yes and no. Uh, as far as going to see shows, absolutely. Mm -hmm. As far as playing, 
shows uh definitely a lot harder um okay. the scene was hard for me to kind of bust into like the noise scene particularly at that time was way more like you can't just play a synthesizer you know <laughs> that's not noise music you know there's a lot of like purists who are right. you know really pedal based or like metal objects and you know my contact mics mm-hmm. only kind of thing um so um and then you know my the band like prize hog we were so weird that like nobody knew what to do with us <laughs> ever so we play a ton of random shows but like I would say, like, as far as, like, fitting, finding a scene and, like, really getting in there, mm-hmm. like, not so much. Wow. But, but as a, I mean, you know, made a ton of friends and bouncing around and playing random shows instead. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how much longer after you joined Prize Hogger did you stay in the Bay Area? Uh, we were a band down there from 2000 and five i think to 20 the end of 2012 and okay. then we moved up here in 2013 when so you got this mini korg that you borrowed for this like <laughs> when did you start like incorporating your own stuff and and getting your own instruments and hardware and things like that uh pretty soon after um i went to a synth a synth store in santa rosa called midi mics mm. and <laughs> that's where i got my nord that i still play wow um yeah and i had no idea what i was doing when i got that thing like i <laughs> tried one note on it and i just held it down for a long time and twisted some knobs until i got this really intense bass sound and i was like <laughs> wow, this thing's $1,000. Do you do layaway? (laughs) (laughs) And he said yes. There you go. That's what happened. I think it's, that's the one thing I love about, you know, experimental music is the playful side of it where you're just kind of trying things out and sometimes amazing things can come out of those yeah. experiences. <laughs> uh, what are some, if you remember, some memorable shows from your early days of touring with Prize Hog there? Um, oh, boy. Uh, there was the one time that we actually played a good show at South by Southwest. Whoa. Yeah. That's a, that's a feat. Yeah, that was over a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> We got to play um, the, it was the WFMU um, Aquarius Records Showcase. There you and go. And it, it was just so amazing the whole time. It was just back to back, like awesome, 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 awesome bands from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, we drove, we got asked to play two weeks before South by Southwest. <laughs> so we <laughs> didn't have any shows before or after and just drove 32 hours straight to Oof. Austin to play and then hung out for the week and then 32 hours home. <laughs> Let's see. Gosh, there's like, there's a lot. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty blurry. Another big favorite was uh, the first time we played in New York, we got to play with Vaz Ooh. at Death by Audio. And that was a game changer. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs>
that was a really special night. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> both playing with Vaz and playing Death by Audio, yeah. which is an amazing space. Yeah, it was just absolutely incredible. Definitely like the luckiest first time playing in New York, I think. <laughs> <laughs> now, when did you start making music on your own? Um, I started doing solo stuff in like 2008. Okay. Um, and it was all just me and Menord for a really long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't play out very often, uh, partially because I was like pretty, like dedicated to Prize Hog, and right. that took a lot of energy to keep going. And then the other part was this kind of daunting, just playing, trying to break into the experimental scene on my own with just my synth. It was like this double, like you're a woman. With a synth, you know, it was like cool. Are you gonna sing some songs, yeah, lady? Yeah, like I gotta go. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I kind of didn't really play a lot uh, solo until kind of the end of Prize Hog. Really, mm-hmm. that's when I started kind of picking it back up again. Okay. Yeah. What sort was it? A similar sound to the music that you're making now? Like what you um, started out with? It was no. It was like way more droney and like messy for sure I am curious about that. I mean, obviously being in a band, that may be a different experience. But as a solo artist, um, have you run into those issues being a woman in the experimental scene and and run into, you know, these sort of brick walls that get put up because of, you know, ingrained sexism in every music scene? Um, Yeah, yes and no. I think over the last few years, things have gotten a little bit better. Um, Mm -hmm. I think people being more vocal about the problems that are very much everywhere in the music scene and in society in Mm -hmm. general. Uh, People are becoming more aware and sensitive and sensible about how they talk to people. Well, that's good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I do. I mean, sometimes I don't get taken seriously when, you know, people ask me like sound requirements or like they treat me like I don't know what I'm doing at all mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel great um, but I usually just kind of power through it and keep my mouth shut unless it gets real bad <laughs> but I usually uh, my partner always says that I like speak with my face pretty well so <laughs> even if I don't say something you can tell that I'm not happy okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so but yeah for the most part it's it hasn't been as bad as it used to be like when i was in prize hog it was a lot more like the merch girl you know girlfriend of the band girlfriend of the band yeah like (laughs) the merch girl doesn't get meal tickets sweetie that kind of stuff where you're just like thank you (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) we have a merch guy (laughs) 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 i booked this show thank you (laughs) now you uh, when did you start collaborating with other people bringing other people into your world um kind of i guess always okay um i mean like when i when i well when i first started 
playing music, it was just kind of like, let's just jam. And like whoever was around, we'd, right. we'd figure it out. Um, but as far as like when I really started picking up my solo stuff again, like when that happened, I I went on a tour pretty quickly mm-hmm. um, with my friends from Australia that are in a band called Dead. Mm-hmm. And we worked together immediately. <laughs> so, like, on that tour, I played with them. They would play with me. We ended up recording. Like, I recorded on their album, mm-hmm. like, at the end of that tour. Um, and, like, every time they come back to these states, we work together in some capacity or another. Very cool. Yeah. It's just more fun just you know if you like can play with someone else it's kind of fun to just mix it up and see what's going to happen yeah i asked that because you know looking at your website you've got you know you list out some of the collaborations you've done uh over the over the years and i think some of the more recent ones uh elrond which is your project with uh, ian garman wyland yeah um, Um, that was, uh, I had been playing a ton of solo shows, and I had gotten asked by Lee and Chip of The Body to mm-hmm. play a show with Chip, who's doing a solo thing, and I think I had like three shows that month already, <laughs> but I really wanted to do it, and so I asked Ian to just play with me, and we invented Elrond. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm really excited. There's no recordings as far as I know of Bear Spray, which is your project yeah, with Daniel Mencha, yeah. um, who is one of the, you know, local uh, hero of the experimental scene, very prolific artists. Like, um, Yeah, I imagine you must have run into him playing shows really quickly here yeah. in town. <laughs> and then how did that turn into actually like wanting to work together and um, make some noise? Well, I, I don't really know. I think it just kind of happened. Sure. You know? <laughs> um, it's, it's super wild because I've been a humongous fan of his forever mm-hmm. and like listened to his music before moving here and didn't ever think like, I'd make music with him, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Oh, it's really wild. But yeah, like over the years, you know, we have played a few shows together. We did a split together, which is crazy. Yeah. And um I I can't exactly remember what happened, but (laughs) yeah, we just he started sending me like drum drum stuff and then I started messing it up with my modular setup and Mm -hmm. then I sent it back to him and then 
we were like, oh, this is pretty fun. <laughs> and then we actually like played together and it was awesome. So, nice. Yeah. There we have go. we have several hours of recordings that we're going to go through, so wow. something will happen soon. <laughs> <laughs> how has that been to to be watching sort of how the internet has sort of democratized how people are able to release music nowadays? Because you have a, a, a sizable band campaign, <laughs> uh, which is great. I, I don't mean that in any negative way, but there's like live recordings on there, um, more studio based stuff, and then you obviously. Um, that obviously you offer up a, a patronage program for anyone that wants to throw in a little monthly donation towards your work. Uh, how has that been to just have that outlet to be able to put whatever you want out there? It's been really awesome, um, especially trying to get a record out in this day and age. It's yeah. nearly impossible. I've been super lucky and I'm really grateful for every everybody who's wanted to release my stuff but as i've become more and more prolific <laughs> i think it's more of a burden <laughs> so it's nice to just be able to like get it out purge it and then keep moving yeah you know and not have to worry about like the possibility of someone else getting in debt <laughs> for making something because <laughs> <That's fair> you know? <laughs> that in all likelihood is what could happen <laughs> now with your with the live recordings on on your band campaign because you've got a lot of local uh you know rec- live sessions that you've done mm-hmm. um do you mess with those very much or do you kind of leave them as is um well some of them that a lot of that actually started because daniel recorded me a bunch okay and so he'd come to shows and record me and then he'd he'd do his quote unquote sexy mixing and send it to me. Is that what he calls it? It's he's got his sexy sounds, you know. And uh he's got his menche ways and and he's good at it. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> yeah, and he just sent it to me. Um uh so those ones were a bit more altered. The ones that I do myself, mm-hmm. I just kinda boost them a little bit if they're quiet. Um, okay. Sometimes I'll take out like the short there's some that are like much shorter than a regular set and it's because yeah. I've taken out some like hyper flubs or like <laughs> <laughs> you know stuff that you just really don't need in your life <laughs> <laughs> On the flip side of that, when it comes to, you know, studio recordings, uh, you know, like, uh, you as far as I know, the most recent one, Consensual Abduction, that's on your Bandcamp page. I mean, how, are you uh, worrying over those quite a bit and, like, really, you know, bearing down on them and, like, going over it bit by bit? and Or uh, is it an easy thing for you to just, like, knock a bunch of stuff out and feel really good about it? Um, With that one, I spent a bit more time than I normally would um because I had help okay um Fester recorded that one um and we he wanted to work with me because he had never just recorded electronic music he's always recording like bands Mm -hmm. um so we had a lot of fun messing with that one because you know he's got all the fancy tech and (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, let's go crazy. <laughs> like, let's chop up every last frequency in this thing and make it go do stuff that I can't do live. You know? <laughs> Thank you. 
that one definitely more attention but in general i'm definitely more of a like one and done if i can you know first thought best thought yeah (laughs) i mean if it if it's not that good and i feel like i need to mold it then i just start over okay yeah (laughs) now how was it to find uh this particular recording uh consensual abduction reviewed in the wire which is like the bible of (sighs) experimental music i cannot believe it (laughs) i put that out myself there's like a hundred cds they're paper sleeved like it's super bare bones and i i just can't believe it <laughs> i like i don't even i'm forever eternally grateful and totally speechless i just can't it's nuts that's awesome <laughs> yeah that is so nice to hear yeah. <laughs> so your next show that you have coming up is on the 30th of this month uh you're playing at holocene with uh, crystal quartz and dolphin midwives and there's one other uh, omari the jazz omari jazz yeah. an amazing producer um yeah, what comes next for you after that? Um, after that, I actually have a show the next night in Olympia. I think it's in celebration of some sort of like witchy thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you're playing at uh, Cryptotropa in Olympia with Nifty Grift, Canipter, Danny Voigt, and Proximal Distal. Yeah. I'm going to end with another question that I ask a lot of experimental artists. And you mentioned that your mom listened to uh, some more out there stuff like Van der Generator and Prog Rock and things like that. But uh, what does your family think of the music that you make? Um, my mom loves it, which is awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, most of my other family, we are estranged. Um, okay. The, 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 most of the family that I do talk to, though, thinks it's pretty freaky. (laughs) (laughs) But my mom is so supportive and like, she really enjoys it. She comes up to shows a lot, actually. Oh, that's great. She's been spotted dancing. (laughs) It's pretty cute. <laughs> well, I hope to see that next time yeah. I see you perform. <laughs> well, if anyone wants to hear more of Avila's music, you go to avila.bandcamp.com or again, verns.world, uh, her amazing website, Veronica Avila. Thank you so much for being a World of Noise. Thanks for having me. still listening to world of noise right here in x-ray fm and now it's time to take five if you're a regular listener to the show you're familiar with this monthly segment it's a simple exercise of getting an artist to pick five songs that are important to their work or their most recent album i just didn't give it a name until this week's episode the artist in question this time around is bart budwick Technically speaking, Bart isn't from Portland as he lives in Enterprise, Oregon, where he helps put on shows and record albums at a studio located inside the OK Theater. That space is also where Bart recorded his latest album, Another Burn on the AstroTurf, a finely weathered collection of Americana and alt-country that makes great use of his singular voice and warm-hearted lyrical vision. The album is about to be released on Portland's own Fluff and Gravy Records, and I caught up with Bart in advance of an album release show he's playing at Bunk Bar this Saturday with support from his friends and collaborators, The Hackles. So we want to talk about uh, the five songs that you chose as uh, being important to you, influential to you in some way. Yeah. And starting, you uh, 
tackled this in a very much more methodical way than I think other folks who have done this before have, where you talk about, you listed out like the age you were when you heard these songs. I guess I was thinking when you thought of influential, I guess I, I, I was thinking about in eras because I feel like there's times where my style shifted because of certain artists, not even that they're my favorite artists of okay. all time. So I guess I think like production wise and sound wise or that's kind of how I was thinking about it. That's good. Yeah. Well, let's start with the first one that you listed out as a, a song from age 14, which yeah. was Cake's Never There. I need your arms around me. I need to feel your touch. Oh yeah, so I picked this one, and I think this was one of the earliest experiences where music like, really felt like something, or I just, basically I remember sitting in my room in the basement with a, you know, the cassette recorder for the radio, and I was like waiting to listen to this song. <laughs> and I really love the band Cake, and I think they're one of the first bands that really like just I don't know they just kind of like blew my mind basically at that age okay now was this when you were growing up in Idaho yeah okay. this was in Moscow Idaho this is in Moscow Idaho so what is the 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 access to music that you had at that age in 1998 in uh, Moscow Idaho were you just was it just strictly commercial radio well yeah so that's what I remember that was pre Napster at least when, whenever I was recording Cake Never There, I was <laughs> estimating on my age. But yeah, so that was pre-Napster. So, okay. I, so there was no way for me to get it other than like the Columbia Music Clubs <laughs> or, or the radio. Yeah. And I mostly just listened to the radio and recorded songs. Okay. Now, were you uh, interested in making music by yourself at that time? I No, I had never considered it. I did play the trumpet. Okay. So that would be a connection to Cake, I think. Too. I have seen pictures of you online with a trumpet. So yeah. That's I, that probably yeah that nice. was my first instrument i hadn't even written songs <laughs> wow so what what tell me about uh your interest in writing songs when did that start well that's that's where the next song that's where the next song comes in okay <laughs> well let's talk yeah it, it, you know i liked the, these two songs one right after the other because the next song you pick was bob schneider's bullets the flow I got to throw my ass overboard baby don't you know did that I'm on man it's the bomb did I ever tell you you look and lie like my mom and you smile I can tell you put me apart as well and put me back together hey to break my heart and sell it for ice cream and fudge give me the nuts it's a live dope honey you be the um, and they're very similar in some ways. But it's the, the way of uh, Bob Snyder's sort of the patter of his vocals, and yeah, it's totally. almost, uh, almost a, a strange hip hop influence, I think, to it as well. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, let's get into the, to Bob Schneider and how that sent you on your path to being a songwriter. Yeah. So the first song I ever learned was "Big Blue Sea" by Bob Schneider. Okay. And so, but how I discovered Bob Schneider was I had a. I like to work on computers, and I had, I, I can't remember if it was Windows XP or Windows 98, or when did the song come out? 2001? Yeah, 2001. Probably at Windows XP. Yeah, that sounds So, right. like, Windows Media Player came with this song, Bullets, 
for free in it. And that was during like wow. the Napster area. So I was we're downloading really poor quality MP3s. Yeah, as was for I. free as a kid. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, so that and I just like loved the song. And so the first song I learned on guitar was Big Blue Sea. And then that's what the when I wrote the first song. So right around this era is when I first wrote a song basically. What was your first song? Do you remember that one? Yeah, it's called It Ain't Easy. It's kind of like a really bluesy song, okay. basically. <laughs> now, you know, you're catching a lot of this stuff, as you said, on, on the radio. Uh, were there other people in your life that were introducing music to you? Family, friends, that kind of thing? Well, so early on, it's kind of weird. My main influence was I did a lot of horn, like jazz stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I played Christmas carols with my family. But we were, it was like a very kind of, I don't know what, kind of, I guess it like a Bible church upbringing. And there was, you know, I was, there was like Michael W. Smith and like, (laughs) like hymns and like a lot of stuff, like a lot of modern worship music. So this was kind of Cake and Bob Schneider and Ben Folds were my kind of my first musics that I really loved where I was kind of expanding outside of that into just whatever music. That makes a lot of sense. There, There is, I've heard from a lot of folks who grew up in like a church, you know, uh, yeah, the church world and church contemporary Christian music that, you know, Ben Folds was a gateway drug. Yeah, that, into that totally pop music. makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> your, have your parents uh, and family, are they, you know, down with the music you're making now and what you're doing with your life in that way? Yeah, I'm actually really lucky. My, my sister is helping, uh, she's managing me and my dad's really supportive and, uh, and then I have another sister who's really supportive. But they, they actually enjoy my music, it seems like. <laughs> so uh, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I lost my mom when I was 12. Oh. So I think that that's... But that, I think, maybe is partially why my family's close and supportive of each other. Is That, that makes sense. That, I think that loss probably plays into it. But it's really nice. Um, it's nice to have that. Because mm-hmm. my dad's a engineer. You know, he's not a... Vagabond. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little more about your interest in Bob Schneider. Like, how did you come across his music? Was was this just like you said, just finding his music with a computer that you got? Truly, was that it was the free song on on Windows XP, <laughs> Windows Media Player. Wow! But uh, but then then uh, I got into his record and records, and I've seen him live a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I, I got his. I convinced him to sign my chest and got it t- tattooed on my chest. That's, really, uh, my only tattoo. You're that much of a fan. I he have no told idea. me not to. He told me not to do it. I mean, I, I was mostly being silly, to be honest. <laughs> I think I wanted to have a concealed tattoo so people will, so people would judge me as a non-tattoo person. But then I would have a tattoo. Or I don't know. It was your little secret. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but but anyway, he's yeah he's a great great songwriter and, and performer. I haven't followed on his latest releases or anything, but okay. I'm Good Now was a very influential release for me. Mm-hmm. You wrote your first song, as you said, influenced by Bob Schneider. Were, was that something? Was that a song you felt really good about? Was that something you, where you were like, this is kind of a rough draft, maybe I'll get better if I keep playing it? Or were you like instantly like, I got it? I Yeah, I just, I just wrote the song and then I played it at an open mic. And I actually feel pretty good about it, actually, sure. t- today. Well, that's good. I feel like a lot of my early songs I like because they were just raw and like I just wrote songs. Mm-hmm. 
like now I feel, overthink everything. So <laughs> I feel like I enjoy that aspect of a lot of my earlier songs. So was that was that the your first foray into playing live was sort of the open mic world yeah, in was, Idaho? Yep. Yeah. I had a friend that ran an open mic. Uh, I, I don't know if he was like a, the youth group leader or whatever, but he's a cool guy. We're still good friends. And uh, he hosted an open mic and a couple friends did. And then, so that's kind of where I cut my chops at the local open mic. Classic singer songwriter right? story. <laughs> this is becoming such a cliche, Bart. I don't know <laughs> I about don't this. Need <laughs> I need to make up something more exciting here. <laughs> well, let's move on to the next song, which comes at, as you put age 23, which is a Sarah Cahoon song called Baker Lake. Okay, so I started writing songs, and that was the moment I got into production because I started re- wanting to just record the songs, I guess. Okay. Then I went to sound engineering school. Then I came back to Moscow. I went to sound engineer engineering school in Phoenix area. Came back to Moscow a year later. My friend Larson Hicks um, what started doing a, like kind of like a monthly show mm-hmm. called Stereopathic Music. And I did that for like eight years, and that's how... Basically, the main way I made all my connections throughout the Northwest with musicians and stuff was just because I was there, always there running sound for the shows. Okay. But anyway, w- there was a Sarah Cahoon show um, at this log cabin in Moscow, Idaho. I forget what. American Legion cabin. That's what, that's what it was. Okay. And it was just... Uh, was on her album that Baker Lake is on. I can't think... I think, can't remember the name of the album. But the show, there was a fire going, and I remember it just like, it was like everything was like melted, or it was just the warmest, fuzziest experience. And I, and that was basically, I never liked, I like I would say I disliked or didn't even consider listening to any country music at all. Mm-hmm. So she has this kind of Americana, uh, more of an old school country sound and she just sings, you know, she just has a great voice. It's not yeah. like stylized, like pop country. And so I, that she was basically my gateway into like Willie Nelson and Waylon Jen. She was like my gateway into outlaw country, which is, was my next phase. Right. So, so that's why, that's why I put Sarah Cahoon there. That's fantastic. Yeah. She's a, an amazing songwriter for one. Yeah. Of, you know, her work in, Chris is weird is great. She's, yep. you know, been around the Northwest scene for some time. And uh, the record you're talking about, uh, Only As The Day Is Long, which was her second on Sub Pop Records. Yeah, a fantastic record. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Now, you, uh, as you were saying, getting into, you know, doing sound engineering work, uh, were you recording other musicians as well, like in studio Yeah, so work? as soon as I came back, I started doing records with folks. Not, I had a full-time job. So I was okay. I would imagine I was probably only doing a couple a year, two to four a year, or something mm-hmm. like that. So, what were you doing for work at the time? I was uh, I was a CNA before and after actually the sound engineering school for about eight, nine, maybe nine, ten years of my life. Wow! So I worked with for most of that. I was working with three guys with kind of different physical and intellectual disabilities. Oh wow! Yeah. So I I'm basically been in kind of the certified nurse's assistant 
just daily needs kind of healthcare. Oh, Most of my life until the last five years of my life. Wow. It's what, what about the last five years? Has that just been concentrating on music then or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Full time recording and performing. Wow. How does that feel to just have that be the concentration of your life now? I feel I really love it because I, I love performing and, and bringing people together with music. And mm-hmm. I like making people happy and, but the, I feel like the writing part is harder actually. Is it? For me. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm doing all the other stuff, but I feel like maybe maybe with work and being around a community more, there was more time for writing or thinking. I don't really know, but I definitely wrote more songs when I was working. Interesting. So maybe I'll need to, if I go drive, maybe I'll have to take a few years off to <laughs> to work. Maybe things will just hit you when you're on tour for this new record. You <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, maybe that's it. So I did want to ask about that now, you know, because the new album that you have out, Another Burn on the AstroTurf, out on Fluff and Gravy Records. Yeah. Um, you, know, you produced this record. Yes. And mixed it. Um, has that been the case with all of your work? Like you producing I guess, everything? yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, really, I think of, I think in this form, since it's live, basically everyone's playing at once on on most of my records. It's. I like to think of the production as more of the selection of the musicians, because I really okay. I feel like that in this. I don't. I. I'm not really. I'm choosing to work with people I trust, and they normally add a lot of the color and and stuff. You know, so I'm not like giving guideline like you got to play this melody or that melody. Maybe every once in a while, but in general, it's like who who gets who is like playing on the record. I feel like those are. I like to think of the band as the producer, but that doesn't. You can't really explain that on a record. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do these interviews for to explain that situation. Now, um, tell me about the band that you worked with on this record. So this is kind of uh, over the last many years. I've gone to Astoria, Oregon, a lot. One mm-hmm. of the first bands I recorded went to school in Moscow, Idaho, and then all went back home and to Astoria and Long Beach, Washington. And what stuff. band was this? The uh, Holiday Friends. I became good friends and I ended up playing tons of shows over there and be, and having a group of musicians that would just play with me there. Mm-hmm. And then my Moscow band, basically, from where I grew up. And so this is the first record where basically both bands all performed at the same time. Oh, wow. So there's like seven plus people on every <laughs> single song instead of just four or five. That's great, though. But uh, I think the songs warrant that kind of, or those kind of arrangements and that big sound that you bring together for this. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm so excited about, really. That's and that's why I was saying about choosing the people. Kind of, I feel like the musicians really define the sound on this record, which is what I wanted. And it's super dynamic with so many people playing music. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the fourth song. And as you said, you uh, sort of moved into an outlaw country. Uh, I thought that may, world. Might, might have been the next yeah. song. Okay, <laughs> you, the, you know, Sarah Cahoon opened the door to the outlaw country world for you, and the next song that you chose was the song that you connected to the age of twenty-seven, which is Waylon Jennings' version of Lucille, which is a Kenny Rogers song. In a bar in Toledo, 
Across from the depot On a bar stool she took off her ring I thought I'd get closer So I walked on over Sat down and asked her her name When the drinks Well, I was thinking today I mentioned we the Cake song Cake has this song called Sad Songs and Waltzes on that record Right Which is a Willie Nelson song Yeah and I think the combination of that and Sarah Cahoon, I, re- I think I was looking up the songwriters and then I started listening to Willie Nelson a bunch and then Roger Miller from like um, the Disney movie of uh, Robin, Robin Hood. Hood. Yeah. Just like, talking with someone about that, that today. That kind of drew me in there. And then way, and then I started getting into groovy music. Redheaded Stranger. Someone gave me that record. So that's one of the most, I listened to that record so, so many It's a masterpiece. Times. Yeah. And um, but the reason I selected this Waylon song is because it goes from let's I think it goes from three four to six eight. It has a time change. My record, The Moon and Other Things, is mostly six eight. It's mm-hmm. like my outlaw country record, but it's kind <laughs> of like a misnomer because there's only two classic kind of like don't don't don't. The rest of them are more in like the Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings where they're like ballads and they're kind of just like. Three, four, or just like the Redheaded Stranger is pretty. It's a waltz record, is a, for the most part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's it's kind of a waltz, a lot country <laughs> record. So, but yeah, I chose this Waylon song just because I I just really loved that. Honestly, I just really love this song and his guitar tone. I would. This is when I was really getting into production. So mm-hmm. basically, finding that this '60s, early seventies, but mostly sixties. It's a little grittier than the seventies. Absolutely. And Waylon was really his early recordings. They just really blew my mind and changed my mind of kind of like the grit and what sounds cool in recording. There's this old recording of the song Abilene Mm. and it's one of his earlier recordings. It sounds like surf guitar. It's like, fuzzy and you can hardly hear anything (laughs) and i remember listening to that song like 200 times so uh i chose this one because his guitar tone and guitar solo is amazing i love the lyrics of this song and it has a time change so it has the waltzy country feel yeah so it's always one of my favorite kenny rogers songs too kenny rogers kenny rogers was the guy that i grew up with yeah just loving his music and so that song in particular like any of the songs that he had a hand in writing just always blew my mind and that one especially is so great yeah i love the imagery of the of the woman at the bar and her massive farmer husband (laughs) and then i don't know some musician guy that's just like sitting there and like it's just I yeah I I can always imagine the whole story in my head so it's fun. Now beyond the production quality of this uh, Waylon Jennings song and these you know that sound of the outlaw country, do you feel that uh, you mentioned the record of the moon and other things that came out in 2016? Um, do you feel that that was where you really felt the influence as a songwriter of the outlaw country world? Yes, I would say that's that feels the strongest to me, and that also Damien Dorado Maricopa. Those would be like Outlaw Country and then that record is kind of where that this ballad that I would say is my ballad kind of Outlaw Country record. You flew in 
chilly in a dress Gave me lucky cigarettes with filters on I told you we'll be lucky when we're dead And I'm lucky to be spending time with you And when did you get involved with Fluff and Gravy Records? How did that just, begin? Well, that was just a few months ago. That but was just I, really recently. Okay. <laughs> but we have a mutual friend from uh, Pancake Breakfast, Mike Midlow. Oh, Mike Midlow. And yeah. many years ago, probably, it must have been five years ago, when I moved to Enterprise, he introduced me to John, and we've been friends. But he, I think I was just seeing if I could sleep at his house, or if he wanted to hang out <laughs> when I was, because I was getting the record mastered, I just figured I was going to be releasing it, and he said he wanted to talk about it and then so now he's helping me out it's very really, cool it's great yeah that's awesome nice to be with the fluff and gravy folks yeah they, they know what they're doing over there yeah let's talk a little bit about that move to enterprise from moscow to enterprise not a yeah. huge move but uh was it was it uh, substantial for you to move away from your hometown yeah i mean i moved so i moved into the hundred year old okay theater to trade production work for rent and i i quit my CNA job. So this first time, basically it's the first time I went full time into music and, and, and it's a different 2000 person town. So, mm-hmm. but I had, I had some friends like the owner of the theater was a friend of mine. So okay, I think having some, a community backbone, I think it has always been really important to me. So I definitely had a little bit of that down in Enterprise, which was was very helpful, I think. So maybe you can explain what the OK Theater is for folks who have never been there, like myself. <laughs> yeah, the OK Theater is in downtown Enterprise, and it's a 350-seat theater in a 2,000-person town. And uh, Daryl, my friend, bought it, um, the Brand family, I should say. Uh, oh, well, it must have been five years ago. Okay. And... Uh, and he, he puts on about um, one music production a month. And there's other community events that go on. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, we've had lots of wonderful bands like Del McCurry just played there. Wow. And uh, Mark O'Connor. And and uh, yeah, so we have good shows. And I'm it's that's the space I record in too. And it's it's got a really beautiful dark sound. Mm-hmm. I've recorded probably 40, 50 records there. Very cool. In five years. Wow. Are these all just bands from around the Enterprise area? Are they people you're drawing in? Yeah, it would be Enterprise down to the Bay Area. Okay. Portland, Seattle. You know, the I-5 corridor, <laughs> yeah, I believe yeah. is what they call it. So any any uh, artists that uh, folks might be intimately familiar with? Well, uh, I recorded No Rain, No Rose for John Craigie, and I mixed the Shook Twins. Oh, nice. Um and then let's let me think about what was just. I'll just say what I was just doing because sure. I'm not very good at thinking about too many <laughs> things at years at once. So Tommy Alexander and TK and the Holy Know Nothings, and a local band, the Jake Walk Saints, just played, uh, just all recorded there in the last like month. Very cool. So keep, yeah, keep them busy. I like that. Yeah, it's 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 a fun space to make music, and I I love getting records done. That's yeah. like my my favorite thing isn't recording it's it's just like having a lot of music that people can share like yeah. helping people get that done <laughs> is exciting cuz then people get to listen to it. Yeah. The finished product like reaching the finish line it's it's almost like a marathon, you know. It's, it's so like- <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> 
Well, let's jump into the last song that you picked of the Ooh, five songs, which is, is Mabel John's Able oh. Mabel, a great single from Stax Records. My name is Mabel, and don't you think I ain't able? I can take a complication, make it a simple situation. Oh, wow. In the, the, the heat of the 60s when they were at their peak. One of their peaks. I don't know. They've had yeah. multiple peaks along the way, but that was definitely up there for Stax Records at that time. Yeah, for sure. So I chose her. This is actually someone I've just... She's on... This record is on my my top listen to for this year. For this year. Okay. And I I chose it because it has... well. I love the way it sounds. I love Al on the drums. Mm-hmm. It's got that, like, I, I, I guess basically this kind of transfers into the, the, uh, another burn on the AstroTurf record, which has, it has a lot where you, you Willie, Willie Nelson does, what is it? Um, shot, shotgun Willie. Mm-hmm. It's like, it start getting this rhythm and blues and yeah. like, groove into it and so then that transition i started looking into like muscle shoals mm. and um i selected this just because i i think it's a great record and um i love the groove element so that like the rock and roll and that's kind of where this 60s rock and roll and groove and i guess they called it rhythm and blues back then but like stacks record yeah like that sound is really incorporated into another burn on the astroturf So basically, we got Mabel John and Muscle Shoals, When a Man Loves a Woman, and then uh, Jerry Garcia. <laughs> Those are three of the competing forces on the record, which you can, I think, hear sometimes. Definitely. But those those forces are not so far apart, you know? No. You listen to Grateful Dead live shows, they were covering soul oh, and R&B tunes. Absolutely. And huge fans of that. And... Yeah, and I think even the folks like the MGs were listening to just whatever you know they did like the Booker T. I was just talking with someone recently about oh, Ma- I love Mac- them, yeah. yeah, but Macklemore Avenue, the Booker T. and the MGs record where they do the entire like side two suite from Abbey Road. Oh, cool! In their own style, and it's incredible. So Ooh, I want to hear. That. Yeah, you've got to check that out. But yeah, and and you know you were talking about Al Jackson and like the, they were the house band, the MGs, those guys yep. in the bar case, just you know driving the sound of Stax Records. And I definitely hear that in your new album, that soul influence sneaking into the songs, which is really yeah, cool. I think I just as I get older, there's I think groovy music is nice because it makes people happy if they don't want to listen to the lyrics. <laughs> and I think I like like I like the idea of people just enjoying like you hear it and you're like oh this is cool and then you can listen to the lyrics and hopefully they're great and you like them but you can also just like dance mm-hmm. or enjoy it and so I think that's what I really love about those 
just groovy songs in general. That is, There's all sorts of groovy songs. Yeah. That is so nice to hear from a songwriter, though, someone who like pens these lyrics and you're not so beholden to them. You're proud of them, I'm sure, but you're not so beholden to them where you'll be like, well, if no one's paying attention, it's fine. They're dancing. They're having a good time. I feel like, yeah, because I want to do that, too. I want to have, <laughs> I feel like it's good to be serious and it's also good to have a good time. Yeah. Now, you have a album release show for another Burn in the AstroTurf, which is happening this Saturday at Bunk Bar, playing a show with the Hackles. Yeah, the be- last Saturday of January. Yeah, it's very exciting. So what happens beyond that? Do we have a tour on the horizon then? Yeah, so I'm kind of... Uh, it, the main tour is just this whole month of January, and it's ending on the 28th. Yeah, and then I'm going to be going to Europe for all of March. Wow. And then I'm still kind of plotting out what I'm going to be doing after that. But <laughs> hopefully somewhere in the, maybe the Northeast, maybe Alaska, something. You Very know. cool. Have you toured Europe before? I have twice. This is the first time with a full band. So. Wow. Yeah. And then the show this Saturday, I'll have a six-piece band for the bunk bar. Okay. That's, it's one of the big band shows. <laughs> what is it going to be in Europe? A very stripped down, a more four smaller piece four band. piece band still. Well, there'll be a German electric guitarist and then a, an American electric guitarist for half and half of the tour. Wow. Are you, are you, are you grabbing musicians while you're over there in Europe? Is that how that works? Yeah. A friend of mine connected me with a guy, Oscar, who I do not know. <laughs> I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm that really thankful. Amazing. I'm excited to. I'm excited. I like improvisation, so I'm excited <laughs> to hear how he plays. <laughs> do you le- do you leave a lot of room for improvisation in your shows? It depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> Fair for enough. For my guitarist, no. <laughs> for everybody else, yes. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, I do. I like I. Ten, I also make mistakes and I like it. I just like it when everybody can be communicating. And so, yeah, I, I love improvisation and solos, but I also like tight songs. So it's kind of a, it just depends. You got to feel out the mood, <laughs> the mood of the night. Fair enough. Well, again, that show, Bart Budwig playing with the Hackles, happening Saturday the 25th at Bunk Bar at 9 p.m. And his new album, Another Burn on the AstroTurf, available now on Fluff and Gravy Records. Bart Budwig. Budwig, thank you so much for coming to hang out. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much for having me. I pulled my jeans from the dryer. You've been listening to World of Noise right here on X-Ray FM or through X-Ray's podcast network. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear more episodes, head over to xraypod.com or your favorite podcast outlet to subscribe to the podcast edition of this show. And if you'd like to reach me with questions or comments, find me on Twitter at at WONXRay or at Robert Hamrider. Tune in next week to hear a conversation with Prashad Kakut, a dancer and DJ who started the monthly Bollywood and World Beat Dance Nights Jai Ho, which is celebrating its 10th anniversary at the end of the month with a big blowout at the Whiskey Bar. All that and more next week on World of Noise. Until then, thanks for listening. 